You're listening to the Victory Church Podcast. Here at Victory, we are called to equip a caring, committed community of worshipers to reach their world for Jesus. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Yes, I'm Ed Crenshaw, the pastor of Victory Church, and it is my joy to be with you who are here in the room and all who are with us online. And this is not really a sermon in the traditional sense in the way that I usually preach the Word of God. This is something of a dialogue. It's something of a conversation. It is the third in our series called Burning Questions, which... Uh, I've already recognized as being tough questions, but also sensitive questions. Questions that I think demand sensitivity in responding to them and understanding that uh, the issues are not just issues that we're debating or talking about theoretically, but they're issues that we're really dealing with, that people that we know and love are dealing with and Perhaps even we ourselves are facing some challenges or struggles in knowing what God says in his word in the Bible and knowing what is an appropriate response. And uh, we have not avoided the tough questions, the the really challenging ones. Man, sometimes I think I'm a glutton for punishment. I could have picked some easy ones that didn't engage us so emotionally, but... Today we're going to be dealing with a question, and this, this is straight out of whatever media was used to convey it to us, whether by text or email, but here's the question, and we haven't changed the question at all. Why is homosexuality singled out as being incompatible with the Christian lifestyle? It seems to me that all sin is incompatible with the Christian lifestyle, which is, of course, the reason we need Jesus. Why don't people speak more about adultery, for example? Wow, tough one, right? And and let me just say right here from the beginning that we want to respond to this question without trying to whitewash anything, without trying to obscure where we stand or where we read the Bible to stand, and uh, yet at the same time convey the heart and the love of God convey his love and his compassion, his mercy, his grace, and really to have a conversation. And I would say, if you're watching online, if you're engaged with us online, to please respond to us. Let's have a dialogue. Let's not just shut each other off because, you know, we may have differing views, and that would go for anybody who's in the church as well. What we're really doing is having a conversation because, uh, you know, a lot of times, Our culture deals with these issues in very polarizing ways that don't reflect the heart of God. And we want to make sure that we reflect God's heart in this. And uh, let's recognize, too, that in the 20 or 25 minutes I have, I'm not going to resolve an issue like this 
that is so divisive in society and, as I already said, sometimes so painful for those of us who, for whatever reason, are, are dealing with the issue itself on a human or relational level. So uh, this is just the beginning of a conversation. And again, email me, you know, call our church. My personal email is pastored at getvictory.net. I would welcome an email, a conversation, and hopefully a phone call or even a visit. We do want to connect with you. And if you have a prayer request, whether it's related to this issue or anything else, we want to pray for you. Uh, we had a lot of prayer for my father in the last couple of weeks who was in ICU and has come out of that. Praise God. And they're part of our online congregation. And so we want to include you. And we don't know how to pray for you unless you share with us. So please, please do that. So uh, back to the question as it was presented. And the first part of the question is, why is homosexuality singled out as being incompatible with a Christian lifestyle? And uh, one of the aspects of this question that, that I agree with is that it is incompatible with the Christian lifestyle. It's not compatible. It is what the Bible would call a sin. But let's deal with this idea about singling out homosexuality. Uh, Lisa and I celebrated 30 years of pastoring this church this month. So we've been here 30 years, and I don't think I have ever preached a sermon on homosexuality. I don't think I ever have. Anybody here remember a sermon where I just preached on homosexuality? No. Have I mentioned it in sermons before? Yes, fairly frequently, but always in the context of other sins, other challenges to the Christian lifestyle. And so I don't believe that we should single out homosexuality. And to the degree, this really would be the first time I'm speaking exclusively almost on homosexuality because I'm responding to a question. And I think it's appropriate that we do that. And so uh, when I speak on it, I almost always do so as a preacher and preach from the Bible and do so in a way that deals with the context and Paul if I'm preaching from the New Testament, usually it would be from the Apostle Paul as he speaks a couple of times on homosexuality, but he almost always includes that in a list of other sins, and we deal with sin. Jesus died for sin, not just a particular sin, but all sins, as even the question would uh, indicate. And uh, so we need to understand that this issue is appropriately dealt with in a broader context. I'm not tonight, I'm not today because of the nature of this question, but please understand that I know and I agree that it should be a part of a broader conversation regarding what is compatible with the Christian lifestyle. And uh, I can tell you this, I have had pressure over the years to preach against homosexuality. But the reality is we're an evangelical church. Almost all of the evangelical world up to this point anyway, up until recent years, has been pretty unified that homosexuality was incompatible with Christian lifestyle. And so 
uh, it's been very, very rare that we've had somebody in the congregation who has been living a homosexual lifestyle, and I think, why in the world do I want to preach against a sin that nobody in front of me is engaged in? Uh, if, if you want me to preach against sin, I can tell you this, I want to preach against your sin, not somebody else's. And so that's why I've not dealt with it. It's not because I'm afraid to deal with it, but it really is not a joy of mine to preach against sin. My job is to preach the good news and that Jesus came and gave his life so that we can be forgiven of our sins. And then we're called to live a holy lifestyle as a response to the love of God and what the Holy Spirit has been doing in our lives. So, you know, I'm not really thrilled to preach against any sin. I wish I never had to preach against sin at all. I could just preach something to make you feel good all the time. Uh, so I don't single it out. And yet I know that there are people who do. And I think there can be a lot of reasons for that. Uh, there could be a lot of pressure on us to take a stand. you know. And a lot of times I think it's just because we want to take a stand with regard to a culture war and not particularly because of a theological position or a biblical position. And I'm not interested in culture wars. Just not. It's not where I am as a pastor. Somebody uh, a few years back asked me about a coworker who was living a gay lifestyle. And the member of our church asked me, uh, how do I approach this coworker and let them know that I don't agree with their lifestyle? And my question to this member was, well, do you have other coworkers living in sin? Oh, yeah. I said, well, what do you say to them about their sin? Nothing. Then why do you want to say something to your gay coworker? Oh, I never thought of it that way. That's the way I would like to think of it. You know? Yes, we believe it's incompatible with a Christian lifestyle, but it's not something that, you know, out of all the sins, that's the one we have to address in our friends and family and coworkers. It's not. So, why do you think some people feel so compelled to single out homosexuality? One reason is because, for the most part, like I said, in this evangelical milieu, this environment in which most evangelicals find themselves. It's changing in recent years, but I'm talking about the majority of us, especially those of us who are over 40 years of age. Uh, homosexuality is kind of foreign to us. I mean, think about it. it. It's kind of foreign to an older generation especially, right? I mean, think about it this way. Uh, President Barack Obama was in office what, less than six years ago now? Not that long ago. And I don't know if you remember this, but when he first ran for office, he ran on the platform that marriage was only between a man and a woman, a male and a female. He had a traditional view of marriage. And all that has changed in very recent history. And a lot of us are not there. And so it feels strange, it feels different, it feels foreign, it feels sometimes forced on you know, the, the larger culture, especially one that was so shaped by evangelicalism. And uh, sometimes 
when something feels that different from us and it's not part of our own experience or our own struggle or it doesn't involve people we know, that's changing a lot in recent years as well, but it's easier to, to want to single out something that seems so different from our personal experience. And here's, here's another reality that I think forces or makes some Christians feel they are forced to single out homosexuality. Uh, there are a lot of things about our culture that are contrary to Christian lifestyle, right? I mean, we're, we're not living in a Christian culture. And that's good to know because we're all in a mission field. And that's a good thing as Christians to recognize you're on the mission field. Let's know that. But in our culture, I cannot think of anything else that has historically been considered a sin that we as Christians are now being asked to affirm as a legitimate alternative way of life. I can't think of anything that has the political pressure, the political power behind it to push us toward accepting homosexuality as okay. There's a lot of pressure. I don't know if all of you feel that, but I think there's a lot of pressure because, you know, I don't want to be deemed hateful and bigoted and backward. And, you know, I, I, I have enough struggles with, you know, confidence about seeming backward and bigoted just by virtue of the fact that I have a Southern accent and you guys are prejudiced against Southern accents, I know. So <laughs> you automatically label us as backward and, and bigoted. So, uh, I, I don't want that, but yet that's kind of what our culture does. It, it just deems us as, as backward and bigoted. Homophobic is a term that you don't want to have applied to you by somebody else. It feels bad. And our beliefs, and I, I can look at recent uh, newspaper articles and such that, that view uh, an evangelical biblical perspective on homosexuality as horrific, as deplorable, as despicable. It's seen as really bad. So there's a lot of pressure related to this one issue that we don't experience with regard to any other issue in American culture today. And so I don't think it's just evangelicals who are singling out homosexuality for discussion. It's our culture, and we're caught up in that. I want to encourage us as believers not to get caught up in the culture either way. Either way. We, we don't have to respond as though we are defending ourselves in this culture war. Nope. That's not our job. That's not what we're part of, and I don't want to have anything to do with that. Uh, but I want to be biblical. I want to be biblical. And so the second part of that question was, was this, uh, and it's really not a question. The second part of the question is a statement. It seems to me that all sin is incompatible with a Christian lifestyle, which is, of course, the reason we need Jesus. Uh, it seems to me that that statement reflects the commonly held belief that all sin is the same. All sin's the same. And uh, if all sin is the same, then, you know, the implication is why single out homosexuality? 
where scripture agrees with that statement, that all sin is incompatible with Christianity, is that yes, all sin separates us from God. All sin makes us subject to the penalty of sin, which is death, eternal death, separation from God. And so that's absolutely true. And uh, so what does scripture say about that perspective? Can we single out homosexuality? Can we talk about homosexuality as a sin? And is all sin exactly the same? And if it's not, where would homosexuality fit in our evaluation of sin? Well, let's look what the Bible says. Now let's get into the Word. I'm going to read a long passage. And this is probably uh, one of the most important passages in the New Testament regarding homosexuality. It is commonly known as one of the clobber verses by people who uh, don't like uh, the use of Scripture to put down homosexuality or to speak against homosexuality. And so they point out some of these more obvious verses as clobber verses as though you know, maybe we should feel ashamed to use them. We should not feel ashamed to use Scripture. Let's see what it says. And let's not use it to try to clobber anybody, but let's just see what God says. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Paul says, For although, speaking about humanity in general, for although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over. By the way, we don't have that kind of idolatry in our world today, in the Western world especially, but we have other idols, things that we set up as, I guess, objects of worship that would stand between us and God. So we have different kinds of idolatry, but it would all boil down to being something created rather than worshiping the Creator. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error, which is not AIDS or anything like that. It's just that we receive in our own being any penalty for any sin. It's, it has a negative impact on us. So that's what that is talking about there. Verse 28, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do, uh, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. And here Paul gives a whole list. So he does single out homosexuality, but then he includes a whole list. They become uh, filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, but gossips. Some churches thrive on gossip. 
You know, all this is to speak out against homosexuality, but then we'll gossip about each other. Oh my goodness. No wonder we get labeled as hypocrites and people ask us why, you know, you single out homosexuality. They're gossip slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, speaking of you know, eternal death. They not only continue to do these very things, but approve, also approve of those who practice them. And so we get a lot of pressure to approve of practices that are incompatible with Christian living. Uh, since I have such a short amount of time, I wanted to read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, which uh, also speaks to this, and then verses 18 through 20 of 1 Corinthians 6. You can read that on your own, but again, it talks about uh, sexual sins, uh, sexual immorality, and it specifies what we would call homosexual acts. But here's the thing about what Paul says in Romans, what he says in 1 Corinthians, is that Paul is dealing with behavior. He's dealing with behavior. It's very important for us as Christians if we're going to dialogue about homosexuality at all because our culture presents it as an identity issue, but the Bible presents it as a behavior issue. Very, very important. The verses have to do with behavior, not orientation. The verses have to do with temptation, desires, attractions, but not identity. And as far as all sin being the same, all sin does separate us from God, but not all sin has the same impact. Not all sin sends the same message to God. Not all sin has the same impact on other people in the world around us. Not all sin has the same impact on ourselves as we engage in it. There are different levels of sin. Jesus himself talked about different levels of accountability, even different levels of punishment for sin. So there are distinctions. They will all separate us from God. All sins are subject to being forgiven by the mercy and grace of God extended to us through the death of Jesus, but not all sins have the same impact. Paul, in that passage on 1 Corinthians, said, Sexual sins are worse for you personally because they engage who you are, all of your, your being. He doesn't make it an identity thing, but he does make it something that pertains to your self, your wholeness, and your being a temple of the Spirit of God. So sexual sin can be more egregious than others. And within that, uh, we see that homosexuality is in some respects, given prominence as an indication that humanity has fallen into sexual sin, which is in turn a product of, of idolatry, of worshiping something other than God. And that can be greed and all these other things as well. But homosexuality is a sign that we live in a fallen world. And it's important for us to... to acknowledge that and, and see that without getting hateful and arrogant and, you know, while we're guilty of some of those other sins that get less attention, uh, let ourselves off the hook. We can't do that. 
That's hypocritical, and that's part of the reason why we Christians sometimes lose whatever voice we might have in any kind of public uh, discussion because they look at our lives and we're against this, but then we excuse ourselves in something else. But at the same time, homosexuality is a sin that uh, we can't kind of tiptoe around or dance around or excuse. It is a serious sin. In fact, uh, the church over the centuries has have recognized that in the Bible there are four specific sins that are, are described as crying out to heaven for God's vengeance. Four sins. And those four, and I don't have time to go into all the scriptures, but oppression of the poor. Amen. That's a justice issue. Oppression of the poor. When God sees that, when he hears the cry of the poor, the widows and the orphans who are in distress and who are being downtrodden, and they cry out to him, I'm telling you, God hears. He hates that stuff. And that's why you can't you know, be one political party or the other over some of these issues because, man, these transcend any political party that we have here in America. Second uh, such sin that cries out to heaven is defrauding laborers of their wages. That's a big issue. Number three, willful, willful murder. And I think that's why the abortion issue is so, so serious. And the fourth thing is sodomy, the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, which cried out to God. And Jude, if you look at the short book of Jude and the New Testament, Verses 7 and 8 speaks directly to the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. Their sins were not just sexual. They had these other sins as well. They had violence and they had mistreatment of the poor among themselves as well. And Ezekiel calls out Sodom for that. But also the sexual aspects of that were very much key to that outcry to, to the Lord. So, man... Uh, we have to recognize that this is serious business. And we Christians can't afford to compromise on this. And neither can we, neither can we accept a lot of the arguments that are being made by certain segments of the Christian church in favor of homosexuality. And, and I, I can just say that they rely on really getting into minutiae about sexuality and the Roman Empire and all these different words, and it can sound very scholarly, very academic, but it's all based on a predetermined outcome, and it's not based on good history or good theology or good exegesis, and it goes against the stand of the church for over 2,000 years, and the Jewish uh, moral system that existed uh, before Jesus came. And, and so I urge you, maybe familiarize yourself with some of those arguments, but don't go for them. The Bible is, I would say, very clear, but pretty straightforward on where, uh, where we should stand in terms of sexual morality all the way around. Uh, the quest, third part, part of this question was this, why don't people speak more about adultery, for example? Well, I, I, as a pastor, I can tell you, if, if I'm going to preach against your sin 
Uh, I don't know that I'm too aware of a lot of adultery that's happened in this church. But how about some other sexual sins? How about uh, single people living together before they get married, having sex before they get married? You know, uh, somebody asked, Is, isn't that an old-fashioned or outdated idea? No. No. Sexual morality calls for sexual activity within the bounds of a marriage of a man and a woman. And that's where the Bible stands. It doesn't represent any other kind of sexuality. And uh, that's where we have to stand as Christians. And I would say, young people, uh, let's follow the Word of God. Let's stick with the Word of God. And uh, let's make sure that we're living holy and moral lives. That raises the question, then, then how do we speak to people about sin? How, do, how, how are we supposed to talk to people about sin, whether it's adultery or anything else? How are we supposed to do that? Well, let me just encourage you to do this. Uh, there are times, Jesus talked about removing the log from our own eye, and then we could remove the speck from somebody else's eye. And I'm not saying that homosexuality or adultery or any kind of sex outside of marriage is a speck in somebody else's eye, but clearly the implication of Jesus is that we take care of ourselves and then we're in a position to help somebody to remove a speck from their own eye. And if you've ever had a speck in your eye, you know that you welcome that relief, right? So we want to be that kind of helpful people. That means let's make sure that we find our identity in Christ that we understand that we are worshipers of God, that we understand that God is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth, and that we are true worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. We get our identity from being crucified with Christ and raised up to new life in Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. If we will live that out, we will be in a position to help other people with whatever they are struggling with, with whatever they are dealing with in life. And I'm telling you, people are struggling. They want to deal with this. I've read in this past week uh, a book uh, that was written by Mark Yarhouse, and we will have that uh, resource available to you online. But the name of the book is Homosexuality and the Christian, and I want to encourage you to read that. And uh, uh, we'll make sure that you have the QR code or the resource, or you can just go online and you can see that book, buy it for yourself and read it because it's based on biblical principles, but it's about having a conversation. It's about really caring for and talking to people and understanding that we don't have to derive our identity from our desires, whether homosexual desires or any other kinds of desires. We derive our identity from other factors, namely Christ. And Yet we recognize there are what he calls uh, three tiers. There is attraction, then there's orientation, and then there is identity. And our world is saying, well, if you have the attractions, then that tells who you are, and you need to discover who you are. Whereas a Christian perspective is, if you have the attractions, we understand, and we know what it is as 
followers of Jesus Christ to have desires that go contrary to God's best plan and God's best will for our lives. And some of us struggle with those desires for the rest of our lives. Some of us have to really die to self with regard to those desires. But that should not be a surprise to any Christian since Jesus said to follow him, we have to die to ourselves daily. And we have to relearn as Christians how to live that kind of lifestyle. And I think that'll help us to help a lot of other people. And it'll help us to have a voice in a world where right now sometimes we don't feel like we have a voice. But if we'll serve and love and we'll care for the poor, we'll care for people in need, we'll reach out, we'll listen, we'll have sympathy, we'll have grace. I was reminded just before this service of 1 Peter, in which Peter says to always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have, but to respond with gentleness and respect. And we would apply that same principle to any conversation. You know, just this past week, Lisa and I were sitting in the Memphis airport ready to fly back to Philadelphia. And it was a pretty full uh, terminal there. And we noticed a woman kind of rush through. Uh, she put all of her bags in uh, one of the seating areas and went through them and then took off through the terminal, left her bags there open and like, wow, that person's really upset about something. And they finally came back. And out of all the people in the terminal, this person came right up to me and Lisa said, oh, you know, I lost my phone and found it. And then next thing we know, this person was telling us their life story. They, you know, work on a tugboat in New York, and they were flying. They now live in Holly Springs, Mississippi, and, you know, have a house, and they're working on it. And, you know, then started talking about all the struggles and challenges. I've had a lot of surgeries, and, you know, it's hard to find acceptance. Next thing uh, I know, they're telling me that their name is Steve, and that, but now they're Stephanie, and, and it's hard to find acceptance. And she said, I go to a, a black church in Holly Springs because that's the only church that'll accept me. And, uh, you know, that might not mean much here at Victory Church since we're not a single ethnicity, but uh, in Mississippi, that probably says a little bit more. And, uh, you know, this person shared this story with a lot, obviously a lot of pain, a lot of pain, sometimes tears in their eyes. And what were we supposed to say? What were we supposed to convey? And, you know, the person wasn't really asking for us to say much, but Lisa the one thing that we were really able to say is God loves you. God loves you. That's what, that's what we're here to say. We're not here to say, you know, we have the answer for everything. We're not here to say that, you know, oh, just, you know, nothing matters. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. We're not saying that either. But, you know, that wasn't what we needed to say at that time. Just God loves you. That's our first and last message. God loves you. God loves you. And if you are a part of Victory Church and, and you're facing struggles and desires and temptations uh, of any kind, man, let, let us know. Let me know. Again, email me. Call the church. Uh, you know, I, I want to talk to you. I want to pray with you. I want to stand with you. And, and I'm not saying it's easy to respond to these desires, whether, whether you know, uh, heterosexual desires in the life of a single young man or woman or homosexual desires, you know, it's not easy always to walk 
in the way that God wants us to walk, but it's worth it. It's worth it. It's really worth it. And uh, we want to help you with that walk. And we're ready to stand with you for the long haul, as long as it takes for the rest of your life. We're here with you. And so we love you, and we care for you, and we want to stand with you and pray with you. One of the first things you can do is surrender your life to Jesus. Just give your life over to him. And I want to give you a chance to pray right now to say yes to Jesus. Just pray these words. Make them your own. Say this, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I believe Jesus died. He was raised from the dead. And he is Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. Fill me with your spirit. And help me to live for you. Thank you for receiving me as your child. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. And uh, I believe God's going to do a great work in you. We're here for you. Thanks for listening to the Victory Church Podcast. If this message inspired you, feel free to share it with your friends, family, and social media. And make sure to subscribe to hear future messages from Victory Church. If you'd like to support the mission of Victory, please visit getvictory.net slash give. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day.